Welcome to the Moonshine Jesus Show. We are so grateful that you are here with us on today's show. Well, we'll be talking about both season one and season two of the Netflix hit series, Sweet Tooth. Uh, we want to remind you, we're sponsored by ProgressiveChristianity.org. It's a wonderful, excellent place to go get all your progressive Christian needs. And uh, we want to ask you to follow us on Facebook, as well as all the places you get your podcasts. And now that we've got that business out of the way, I want to welcome my good buddy, Caleb. How are you doing, Caleb? I'm great. How are you doing today, Mark? I am fantastic. I don't know about you, but I am ready to spoil the crap out of this show. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that sounds like a lot of fun. Let's spoil it. All of it. Exactly. Exactly. That is your not-so-gentle warning that this is a spoiler-full <laughs> zone. We will be talking about the... Uh, the, the show Sweet Tooth, and we will be spoiling it quite a bit as we talk about it. Uh, but before we get started, we've got to get our heads in the right space. So uh, as is our custom, we uh, come to the show with a cocktail designed to somehow uh, reflect the show. So I'm very curious, what did you come up with for today's show, Caleb? So to get my head in the right space, I have got a purple flower which is oh, of course significant in, in very significant. the show. And uh, I've made it with moonshine uh, because whenever they go to the cantina, they get they uh, do have moonshine. moonshine. Yes, so it's yeah. uh, moonshine, a blue curacao, grenadine, and Sprite. And uh, I love it. Well, How about I you? What are you went, drinking? I'm actually having a drink that was along, around long before Sweet Tooth called a Sweet Tooth. It is um, chocolate liqueur and milk. And that's all that's in the normal sweet tooth. But yeah. uh, with a tip of the hat and an ode to Gus, I have also added a little bit of maple syrup to mine. And then I have, since uh, they are all about saving the lives of the hybrids, I've added gummy mm -hmm. uh, lifesavers as as my garnish. So I love it. I I knew you were going to have maple syrup. I, I had a feeling. Yeah. You were right. <laughs> well, cheers, sir. Cheers. Oh, that's dangerous. That's like adult chocolate milk right there. Mm -hmm. How about yours? Oh. How is it? <laughs> it's great. Fantastic. Good. All right. We are going to take a quick break, and we'll be back to geek out a little bit about this show. Mm-hmm. Jesus. Welcome back to the Moonshine Jesus Show, where today we're talking about Netflix hit show Sweet Tooth. Uh, Sweet Tooth is a fantasy drama TV series based on the DC Comics comic book of the same name. Sweet Tooth is set in a fictional world where a virus has killed the majority of the world's human population while leading to the emergence of hybrid babies that are born part human, part animal. It's got a 98% fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes. It has been very well received. I think it even won a couple of Emmy Awards. I hadn't heard of it somehow or another. This came out during the pandemic, and I thought I had watched absolutely <laughs> every 
free streaming show available, but somehow I miss this one. But you loved the first season, didn't you, Mike? What, oh, yeah. what was I loved it so much. You know, it's it's there's a there's so many post apocalyptic shows, mm-hmm. and you know, every time I see that one's coming out, I'm kind of like, ah, okay, I'll, I'll yep. see. This one has a, a beautiful kind of piece to it, while it is post apocalyptic, and there aren't quite dark things about it and there's some clear uh covid and anti-vaxxer stuff that we've seen in other things going on Mm -hmm. there is this beautiful piece of childish hope and joy that comes along in this there is something more beautiful about it than the other post-apocalyptic tellings that i've seen recently and it just hooked me uh immediately Uh, and part of that's uh honestly christian convery the 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 boy that plays mm-hmm. Gus is just mm-hmm. so engaging and does so much to to convey his he he plays the childhood innocence and fear yeah. but also willingness to forge forward no matter what he he's found this balance of how to convey it perfectly and it's hard not to like be immediately rooting for him so yeah what was your experience yeah. when you watched the first season because you had yeah, to kind so of it watch was... it all at once right. That's right. Yeah. So over the past two weeks, I binged all two seasons, but it was a delightful binge because it was fun to watch. And so, I mean, there were real stakes, you know, the the whole Mm -hmm. human race uh, is is perhaps vanishing from existence. And we've also got people actively hunting the hybrids. So the stakes are high and yet it doesn't take itself too seriously at the same time. And I think that's one of the things that's fun about it is that Mm. uh, you can really get invested and it's not a heavy watch as a lot of these post-apocalyptic shows are. Uh, There's some humor in it. The relationships are real. And I, I think that that really helps. I think also James Brolin's narration. Oh, is, in a bri- so, oh, brilliant. It's fantastic. I mean, he's got great lines that he delivers mm. as only James Brolin can deliver. And yep. it also gives the series a different kind of feel. Somehow a lighter feel. Somehow uh, it's, also kind it's of so, meaning making along the way. It's like a, it, it, it's almost like you're, you're in bed and your grandfather's mm. telling you a fairy uh-huh. tale. And yeah. for me, that's what his his narration brings that kind of, mm-hmm. it already has these fairy tale elements, but the way mm-hmm. they allow him to narrate it and his voice, it, for me, that's what it feels like. It's a, a grandfather sitting next to the bed and narrating the story for the grandchild. Mm-hmm. And for me, that makes it even easier to take this very difficult honestly if you think about it yeah a lot of this is a story about killing kids yeah they're hybrid kids but they're kids i mean that's a dark 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 show it's a dark place yeah but they've figured out this balance between the darkness of the story they're telling and a way of telling the story that makes you be able to take it and and i think that's probably good because it 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 helps you be able to listen to a dark story and think about the implications of it and and uh-huh. and do it in a way that's not quite so frightening yeah and you're right that's important because it's heavy material and it mm. i think that's one of the things that makes us so unique and one of the reasons that people have responded so well to it but mark you yeah. you just alluded to this uh, a couple of minutes ago mm. okay so i was i was thinking about this uh two weeks ago we talked about the last of us 
where right. a loner who lost his child reluctantly shepherds a child through a post-apocalyptic world, and that child right. might be the secret cure for humanity, which sounds <laughs> really similar to what we mm -hmm. see in uh, Sweet Tooth. So I'm curious, what's our fascination as a culture with this plot? Uh, like the post-apocalyptic world, uh, a, a, a dad figure <laughs> get, taking a child figure through this post-apocalyptic world. What do you think is going on here? Why are we so fascinated? I mean, I, I, I think I think I think the people just hit on this multi-layered story that appeals to us in terms of you apocalypse. Part of the fear of the apocalypse is that all that you know and all that's steady in your life is going to be gone which concludes family and all of that. So you having someone discover new family makes a lot of sense and giving hope and how that might happen. And then I think the idea that part of the apocalypse now is hard not to think of the apocalypse without thinking about the way that we're ruining the environment and what we are doing to the environment. And there is this, with, with that comes this idea of how important it is to save the future for our kids there's some beautiful kind of uh, um, balance to that, that the kid is who can save the world. And so for me, there's, there's a couple of layers of things that are in storytelling that are going on that makes it a very engaging way of talking about an apocalyptic world. I mean, what do you think it is that's going on? Yeah, I think that's very insightful, Mark. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's also framed by the way we've just spent, you know, the oh, last absolutely. few years for so many of us, you know, who were used to uh, most of life just going along as normal, having never lived through an event that really disrupted life in yeah. the way yeah. that the pandemic did. I think it made mm -hmm. a lot of us realize how fragile life actually is, how easy it actually is to spread a pandemic and how the world could end. And so a lot of us who had kind of blinders yeah. on, uh, who had yeah. those blinders removed from our eyes as we were able to mm. see, ooh, actually, um, something like this isn't just something that happens in sci-fi and fantasy. <laughs> this is right. something that could really happen. And right. I think it's... that's what the fascination is right now, exploring yeah. that, like how our sense of life and identity in the world all changed mm. in 2020. Oh, absolutely. Um, I think you're completely right. That makes complete sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. So, Mark, I'm, I'm curious. Um, there are a lot of commentaries being made in the show, I think, about a lot of different oh, things. We've so touched many. on a couple of them already, and uh, we've got two seasons worth of commentary here. But right. I'm curious, Mark, what do you think the primary theme of Sweet Tooth is? If you had to boil it down to one theme. I, I, I can tell you in an image, and I can then tell you in a word. Mm. Oh, give me, me. Okay, I, I'm ready. All right. For me, the image yeah. is mm -hmm. uh, when when Doctor Singh, uh, wife has just left him, and he mm. walks out to the big main room, and there, sitting on his luggage with a, a which is draped by a red cloth, sets mm -hmm. the uh, the the statue of Ganesh, mm -hmm. and. For me, that was the moment that I realized what the show was about, and it made me think of a line that happened before it, because that Ganesh, for he and his wife, was yeah. a symbol of home. 
was a symbol mm-hmm. of home. And so I, the one word that I think is actually the core theme is home. Uh, and we hear that when um, Wendy's mom finds Wendy and Wendy's like, this, this was, this was, you know, they, what did they do to our home? And she tells her yeah. home isn't a place. It's where we are together. Yeah. And if you think about it, everyone is seeking out someone to be together with and to be home, mm-hmm. make mm-hmm. home with. from big guy to Gus uh, from, yeah. there's just so many layers of that. So for me, that's what I think the theme is. What, what, what do you think it, it was? There, there, Cause honestly, there's several that yeah. it could be. There are. And just a moment uh, since you brought up Ganesh, how brilliant is it that mm. the doctor who ha- who has to experiment on these hybrid children yeah. to a... try to find a cure worships a god who is part human, part animal. Wow. It's uh, it's wonderful symbolism. And it really uh, is. There's so the much irony, of that going on. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Uh, and uh, yeah, so I think I, I see the main theme is very similar. The image that I choose, I, I think, is the one where they have all the kids have gotten to Yellowstone at, at mm. the kind of the end of the second season. And they're all holding hands together as as they are entering Yellowstone. Yeah. And uh, yeah. and I think it's I think it's chosen family. Too. So very similar. Uh, and if if home is our chosen family and it doesn't matter where the location is, then, yeah, I think I think it's chosen family and the people that we right. uh, that we spend time with. I think that's the overarching theme of of this. And that even when we lose our families, our biological families, that that doesn't mean we are done with family, that family finds us and, and we find family. So, Mark, I've got to ask you a question here that I'm, I'm wondering about, and I need your opinion on because I don't know Uh-oh. what the answer to this is. Okay, That doesn't so bode well for me. If you don't know the answer, that does not bode well for me. <laughs> Man, I got, I got to know about these purple flowers. I'm drinking the purple flower drink. I, I need to know what is the relationship between the purple flowers and the hybrids and the sick? What do you what do you think the what do you think the purple flower is about? Why is it there? <laughs> well, what do you think it symbolizes? What's 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 it all about? Uh boy, is that a difficult question? Um, what is it all about? I don't know. I mean, because you think about that, maybe where all of this started was um, in Alaska, and when they discover the body of the doctor that was mm-hmm. first looking into this, has a giant purple flower. And it's really interesting because that flower is the only sign of, of foliage that we see the entire time. So yeah. I think it's some kind of a combination of um, finding new life where life wasn't once, mm-hmm. uh, which kind of goes along with the hybrids. And, and that maybe that's part of why the hybrids have this uh, different connection because that particular fly, flower kills humans but it gives uh, hybrids uh, a kind of a psychedelic kind of um, visions that are somewhat prophetic, it seems. So maybe there is a uh-huh. spiritual element to this as well. Um, I haven't quite figured it out. I mean, I'm hoping that they've got a deeper meaning to it, but so far I'm not putting two and two together very quickly. I, w- I wish you had an answer. 
Yeah, I know, right? But uh, <laughs> the best, uh, I don't know, except that I, I think that maybe there is, I think somehow those flowers are going to be involved in a cure that is not derived from the from. bone marrow of of the animal, of the animal human hybrids, the kids. I think yeah. that there's got to, be, I think that somehow they're going to be involved in the cure, whether that is through some kind of vision, they find a cure or whether somehow mm. they can use the flowers because people have been mm. so afraid of the flowers that they haven't really uh, explored what those are about. But here's, uh -huh. here's a question, a follow-up question to that, Mark. Why is it that Dr. Singh, who is not a hybrid, uh, who right. has you're gonna do it again <laughs> oh my god of course you are well, wait, unbelievable let's see let's see if it actually is your question i, I, I want to know <laughs> i want to know why how he makes it through uh being exposed to those flowers and what uh, that is all about can you help me mark yeah. well there goes one it? of my did i get the question you question? did you did yeah. it again you did it again <laughs> That was my make one of my make me look stupid questions. And yes, you did get it. Uh, I think that yep. what we're supposed to assume is that uh, he began to have a vision and that maybe that's what happens with humans that, that they but most humans who have continued exposure die. And that while he was having the exposure, the fight went on where uh, the animal army came in. And someone in that fight ended up breaking the window of the room that he was in. And a lot of air and a lot of oxygen got in there and dispersed it because they made a big deal about that. It took a fan to blow enough of it to, right. to have it really impact him. So I think that what we're supposed to believe is that the window bu burst out because they made a big deal of making a shot where you saw the broken window. Uh, and otherwise it wouldn't matter that there was a broken window. So I think that's what it's supposed to be, but it wasn't very satisfying for me. What do you have thoughts since I was going to ask you that question anyway? <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah, so they also made a big deal of showing that he had Gus's antler with him yeah. that had been sawed off and he had grabbed it Maybe right before some... he went in the room and he took yeah. it with him and had it in his hand. And so once he wakes up and he sees the broken glass and you know, we've, we've seen the animal army stuff. He makes a point to pull it out of his pocket and, mm -hmm. and hold it. And he has like some kind of look of realization as if yeah. maybe there's something about having that there that allows him to have some kind of yeah. immunity from the, uh, from the yeah. killing effects of the flower. But mm -hmm. who knows? It's very clear. I, uh, that's it's very clear that he was thinking that. Whether it was right. that or not, it's hard to say. But yeah, I agree with you. It, it was clear that he, he almost looked at it like, ooh, I have I have a magical item. I'm curious to see. I hope we get an answer in season three. I do too. But Mark, I know you're going to have some wonderful things to lead us through in the theopolitical segment. And uh, I can't wait to hear about some more theological and political themes in Sweet Tooth. So let's take a break, take a drink, and come back and get into it. Hello 
and welcome back to the Moonshine Jesus Show. Thanks for sticking with us and joining us for our Theo Politico segment. So the, an easy place, Caleb, to go, you know, this obvious mm-hmm. there's COVID and anti-vaxxer allegories throughout uh, this yeah, whole yeah. show. But we've seen a lot of that. And we've talked about all that. So let's mm-hmm. look at some of the maybe yeah. slightly less obvious themes. Uh, yep. I'm going to start with a very intriguing character, General mm-hmm. Abbott played yeah. brilliantly. It was just, oh, uh, San- Sandy Land is uh, the last name, and I can't think of his first name right now, uh, Neil Sandy Lands, and he's just uh-huh. amazing in this role, absolutely amazing. And he he plays a character that basically promotes a sort of regressive ideology he, where he's mm-hmm. promising not just a, a, a return to the way that things used to be before the sick, but to what is essentially at least the way I'm seeing it promoted as an idealized past that never really existed. I'm curious, do you see any of that in current American politics? And if so, (laughs) why do you Mm -hmm. think it's such an effective approach? Yeah. And so I I think much of the Republican party right now (laughs) is, is advocating this kind of thing that Republican party has certainly been hijacked by the alt-right. And I think it primarily appeals to uh, white men who uh, who have this desire mm-hmm. to be in power. And I think as there is at least growing talk of more equality, I, I'm not sure any of that equality has ever been realized in any, any substantial way, either for right. uh, people who aren't men or for um, people who aren't white. Um, but right. I, I think that there is a fear of losing the the power and privilege that uh, that uh, you know people like you and I have had just by the color of our, right. our skin and our gender identity, and so right. I think that people kind of idealize uh, the past because they they look at a time and a place where they they felt like they had control, uh, even if they never experienced it themselves, even if they had never lived in it, uh, an idealized mm-hmm. time where it felt like there was control and they weren't being threatened. Uh, so yeah, I think we're certainly seeing this in uh, oh. in the political discourse in the country. We're seeing it as rights are being taken away from women. We're seeing it as uh, you know we're regressing on you know civil rights legislation that has been long withstanding, and uh, yeah. it's really really scary. Uh, how, are you seeing it in other places, Mark? Or no, I mean, I, I absolutely do see that that is what's going on. I, and I'm certain yeah. that the writers were trying to make sure that that, mm-hmm. that was what we, we could see going on here. I think I, I think you're exactly right. I completely agree with you. I think that there's this added element of stuff that we've talked about in previous shows about the effects of nostalgia. And that mm-hmm. uh, nostalgia, you tend to over-idealize what the past was like. And when you're heading into a future that seems murky and maybe even not yeah. the, as good as it used to be for you, it's real easy to kind of let the nostalgia feed what your understanding of the past mm-hmm. used to be mm-hmm. and to idealize it in a way that it makes it easy to sell to the masses uh, mm-hmm. in a, hey, if you if you elect me, I'll help get back to those times that were so perfect and amazing when the reality is, as we've seen in several recent shows, actually, <clears throat> frequently, even the Back to the Future, part of the point was, the 50s yep. weren't as great as you thought they were. And, and I think that that's part of what's going on here is that it's become this real easy tool. It's a lot easier to sell an idealized past than a possible future. 
And I think that that's what we see going on over and over again in, in uh, politics. So I, based on your answer, I'm going to, I'm going to take another step a little bit further in based on mm -hmm. part of your answer. So in part, this is a story about um, a, a minority group that's singled out because of their differences and then used as scapegoats, basically for the fears of the powerful. So again, I'm curious, do you see this kind of thing present in the current U.S. politics? Yeah, I mean, we've seen this uh, a number of times, but uh, the, being so close to the border, the, the, the group that I think of uh, yeah. a lot is, uh, you know, people who are coming into the country undocumented. And so mm -hmm. even, um, uh, for instance, there are humanitarian groups that will place uh, bottles of water uh, on the, you know, in the mountains and stuff as people are coming in in the deserts uh, so that people don't die of thirst, yep. uh, of dehydration and uh, of hunger. And they'll also put in, you know, blankets and, and stuff like that. And so it's illegal in California for uh, people to go through and destroy that. And yet we've we've seen that uh, that people have been going through and doing that people mm -hmm. employed by the government. And, uh, you know, it's. I think we especially saw this in the Trump administration where we we saw actual articulation of, you know, of um, fears against uh, immigrants and refugees, uh, the, you know, uh, deplorables coming in and, and all of this. But uh, I, I think that even so, um, even though that Trump is out of office and we have a new administration, so many of those Trump era policies have been continued uh, yep. in a in a way that has that really nothing substantial has changed other than the um, the discourse around it. Other than we're not hearing someone from the highest office in the land, you know. Uh, dehumanize people. But in, in terms of how we actually practice things, uh, not really much has changed substantially. So I think we still see this. We still continue to see people who are immigrants and, and refugees being talked about as if they are a burden to uh, the rest of us taxpayers in the country, uh, as, as if there aren't people who are here undocumented mm -hmm. who are working for less than uh, less than minimum wage and are actually propping up our economy. Uh, and yeah. that's really, really sad to, to see that kind of dehumanization. So that's one of the clearest places yeah. that I see it. <clears throat> no, I see can, it Mark. Yeah. no, I completely agree. And then um, you, you've got the whole piece. I, I think that's clearly one of the pieces that they're trying to talk about in Sweet Tooth, uh, particularly with the way that they feed uh, the hybrids kibble and stuff, because a lot of times... Mm -hmm particularly with, uh, with undocumented immigrants, mm -hmm. uh, you hear people calling them animals or even, mm -hmm. you know, things that are even trying to dehumanize as much as possible. But I also think there's another piece that's very clearly speaking to the LGBTQAI plus community, mm -hmm. uh, because what we're talking about is a group of kids who were born this way, who then get to be uh, marginalized for being different than those in power. And so I think that's also part of what we see going on there is it's a commentary also on the way that, that uh, those who are powerful are using, and particularly right now, trans folks as a scapegoat mm -hmm. for all that's wrong in the world. And that if we can stop you know, trans people from doing whatever it is that they seem to think they're doing, which I've never really completely understood, um, 
but it's e it's an easy target for and yeah. and so I feel like there's a bit of that going on as well. Uh, and and I think they did a pretty nice job of of um, pointing that out and, and and at least trying to help us think about it. Um, yeah, I agree. so I'm I'm going to move on here. We could talk about that quite a bit. There's so many layers. Like I've got yeah. probably eight more that we could talk about here. Um, so <laughs> I, I, there's just so it's a really interesting because uh -huh. it's such a it's such a delightful show in some ways. Yeah. But when you really analyze it, they're talking about so many important topics. Yeah. They're doing it in yeah. very accessible ways. It's just, I, I really appreciate mm -hmm. the writing a lot. So um, I, I think most of us got the sense that under normal circumstances, that Dr. Singh would have never experimented on the hybrids. So yeah. what what is it that you think about fear and love, which I would argue are the reasons why he does, what is it about fear and love that pushes us to do things that we would never do elsewise? And, and a follow-up to that question, how do we then anchor ourselves in a way to avoid it? Yeah, so those base emotions, I think, cause us to act in kind of in base ways where we're able to, we're, we're not necessarily engaging with our analytical mind, but we're uh, engaging from a place of kind of survival. And I yeah. think that both of those, both of those emotions, uh, fear, uh, and, and in this case, I think both for his life and for the life of the one he loves, his wife, that, right. that, uh, that acting out of, out of those emotions may not be kind of rational because I mean, if he were making a rational decision, if they were, talking through a rational decision right she had had nine years of of extended life and there was there was wasn't necessarily a cure and i think that's as she saw the 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 hybrids and she got to see them and actually recognize some of her um assumptions about them were wrong which again is a right. brilliant commentary right on on yeah. building relationships and how that helps to yeah. uh get rid of our biases. Uh, so mm -hmm. I, I think that if they were actually thinking through it uh, as she did, then, then they would have come to a different decision. So I think one of the ways that we kind of try to overcome those things is by trying to take a moment, take a step back and think about why we're acting the way that we're acting. And I think anger is a, a good example of this in like everyday yeah. human life, right? Like a lot of times we get angry about stuff. Uh, somebody does something or whatever, and we get unrationally angry about stuff. And it almost never is actually about that person or about what they're doing. It's all our own internal stuff that if we <laughs> if we take a step back from and and we analyze it a little bit and like I shouldn't have yelled at that person for that. That was me. That was all me. It's because of what what I was doing or this triggered something in me. Yeah. And so I think sometimes the way that we get back from those base emotions is trying to step back a little bit and analyze it. Uh, what do you think? Yeah. No, I completely agree. I think you're right. I think self evaluation is one of the key things, and that we need to do it in all of the big and small moments in our lives as much as yeah. possible. Uh, reflect on things we just did, figure out why we, what motivated us, particularly when we do stuff we wish we wouldn't have done. Uh, and the right. more that we can do that, like I said, in the big and small moments, the more we do that to ourselves, 
the more likely we are, are going to be able to catch ourselves in the moment when we're about to make a decision that we know that we will regret yeah. later. Listen, we could go it's on, hard, on. Like I said, I've got, it is, it's very difficult and it's a lifetime process of learning and trying to get better. There's yep. no doubt about it. We're all going to make mistakes and we got to learn to forgive ourselves for it, but not to, uh, uh, to, to think it's okay. Rather to say, okay, I forgive myself, but I'm going to get better because I don't want to do that again. And I don't want to feel that way again. And I don't want to treat other people that way. So um, yeah. we could go on and on. Like I said, I've got another four or five questions that would work for this segment uh, because it's such a complex layered uh, analysis mm -hmm. that they're really doing in their storytelling here. But we need to move on because we get to go to our favorite segment, the make me ah. look stupid segment. So we're going to have a quick drop and we'll catch you all on the other side. Welcome back to the Moonshine Jesus Show. We're entering our final segment, the Make Me Look Stupid segment. Thanks to all of you for hanging around throughout the show. I've only managed to steal one of Mark's <laughs> day. Uh, so I only really consider it a victory if I steal at least. Well, I forgive you. I'm going to go ahead and just... We talked last segment, we talked about forgiving ourselves. In this segment, I'm forgiving yeah. you. So <laughs> you're forgiving me. Which, forgiving me which for is stealing really my about question. being at peace with yourself, right? <laughs> so. Yeah, very much. Very much. <laughs> okay. And I'll, I'll try not to steal anymore. Okay. But uh, it I don't is, believe uh, that for <laughs> you. Don't, yeah, don't believe me. Yeah, I don't believe Okay. No. So I've got a question for you, Mark. Um, okay. And it's about uh, Jillian. The, the person who's the head of the scientific lab uh, that yeah. is doing all this experimentation, they create the hybrid and they create right. the Gus and they create the virus. Mm -hmm. So we find out towards uh, the, uh, towards the last part of the last season of the second season that Jillian injects herself with the virus and makes herself patient zero and I'm curious about that because uh, earlier we had seen that she was worried about funding, but we've discovered that she's no longer worried about uh, funding once Gus comes into the picture. So she's not worried about funding anymore. We find out that she has some kind of a, a muscular disease, but it's uh, not a disease that a cure for the virus would necessarily cure nope. right because we find out that her great-grandfather whoever the the guy in the ship went looking for uh, uh a cure but just found this disease so right. here's my here's my question why does jillian inject herself with the virus what's what's the but, purpose of that because it makes great storytelling <laughs> I, actually i actually am not 100 percent sure i thought it was kind of an odd move i mean uh, if she needed funding, then it would make some sense, right? Because, oh, yeah. now the person that is running all of this, we need her. We've got to really work, get behind this. Yeah. Um, and she knew she was going to die. This is a, a muscular issue that her is yeah. passed down through her family line. Um, yeah. I genuinely, I am not 100% sure what I think uh, 
you you stumped me on this one. I, I don't know why they did. Yes. That. Uh, I don't. I don't. I don't see any good storytelling. You tell me what what makes sense. How does this make sense? <laughs> Well, I can't consider it a full victory because I don't really know. That's why I wanted to ask you. <laughs> it, made, it, made no, uh, it made no sense to it me because no I thought, because if she were trying to secure funding, then yeah, the, the purpose yeah, yeah, was to get the sense. funding. But they already removed that because as mm-hmm. soon as the egg had a heartbeat and we find out that yeah. it's Gus, she says, Always. this secures our funding. Yeah, <laughs> and so, literally. So it... it it makes no it makes no sense include you know also we often find you know people who kind of have uh evil schemes either f- to get money or for the sake of science who are so obsessed with science that right, they inject right. somebody else as patient right. zero. It's so true. <laughs> why she injected herself knowing no that sense. there wasn't a cure uh yeah. and just hoping that it would be Gus um, I, I felt like that was the one point in in the, yeah. the show that I kind of didn't really buy. I it kind of I, took I it agree. It, it gave us that one scene with uh, Gus's uh, adoptive, let's call her adoptive mom, and her mm-hmm. and, and their exchange, which is pretty dramatic. But that's the only way I can figure out is that they they wanted a, a way to get to that scene, and just I don't know. And I don't even know that the payoff was worth it. You know. Yeah, I okay. didn't, we didn't get much character development of Julian either. No, there really was a, there really wasn't didn't. really a lot of payoff. We really didn't. Yeah, there really genuinely wasn't. Okay, my okay. turn. All right, and I'm yeah. very curious about this. So in Dr. Singh's okay. vision, we've already talked about him being in the room with the purple flowers. Yeah. In his vision, he sees himself carrying an unconscious, bleeding Gus through mm-hmm. the snow. Do mm-hmm. you think that he'll continue to be one of the main antagonists next season. I think he's going to be one of the main characters. I think ultimately he's going to redeem himself. I don't think that he is ultimately going to be an antagonist. And I think it's in Alaska. So I think we keep seeing them go to that that cave, that particular cave, because Gus had a vision of that particular cave too, where he ran into Birdie, his adoptive mom. And so I I think there's something significant that's going to happen next season. So I think it was, I mean, before we found out in the last couple of episodes, they were going to Alaska next season. I think we all knew they were going to Alaska next season, you know? And so uh, um, I, I, I think we're going to see Dr. Singh, working with birdie to try and find a cure uh in the next season that that that's yeah, what i think yeah. what, what do you think is going to happen to this I, character i completely agree i think we're going to see a story arch much like big guy where he was once kind of doing what he had to do for his own personal reasons against the hybrids and that he's going to begin to see the error in his way and want to help and i think that him carrying when we see him carrying gus uh it, it was supposed it may it the way they presented it, I think it was supposed to feel a little bit like he had gotten his prize and he was going to uh, yeah. now be able to do his research. But I think the opposite is exactly true. I think that he probably, uh, Gus was hurt and he knows that that his mother or whatever is going to cure him is in that cave or that at least there's enough safety in that cave. So I think we're going to see uh, the arch, the story arch that we saw with Big Guy. I think we're going to see Dr. Singh kind of go through the same thing, which is would, would be lovely. I think it's a, a great arch and I kind of, Desperately want his character to be redeemed. I also want him to get back with with his wife too. So we'll see. Yeah. 
I'm curious what happens with his wife too, because we didn't get any closure yeah. to that story. I think there's something all. more there. I don't think she's going to die. I, I think somehow we're she's going to be saved uh, because, because it would have, I, I think he's going to save her, her. They should have killed her now. I, you think, yeah, I, think he, I think he's, yeah. I think he's going to save her. I think in his turning around in the way that he treats Gus and the hybrids, that that's going to be part of, and maybe it is the purple flower. Maybe as he gets in, to the cave, he meets Gus's adopted mom, and they start recognizing that the flower and that he brings the cure. One way or the other, I think he's going to bring the cure to his wife, and they're going to uh, reconcile in some way. Uh, at least, maybe that's just the the romantic in me really wanting that to happen. Uh, but I kind of feel yeah. like that might happen. Kind of feel like that might yeah. happen. So listen, we could go on and on, yeah. but uh, let's let the folks know uh, what we're going to be doing next week, man. I am so excited about this, yeah. Mark. Uh, so we've had mm -hmm. kind of several months where we've been waiting for a, a big movie to come out, and we finally got one, one that I know you and I have both been looking forward to for a long, long time, uh, Guardians oh, yeah. of the Galaxy Volume yes. 3. Yeah, how excited are you, Mark, to talk about this? I'm, I am so crazy excited about this. Uh, we've already seen enough that we know that we're going to get some backstory on Rocket. Uh, and uh, this is supposedly the final of, of the three. It's, it was meant to be a trilogy. So we're going to get the kind of the full wrap up here and all the characters. I, I, I cannot wait. Cannot wait. I've already bought my tickets. I'm ready to go. Oh, well, I hope you have a theater that is full of Guardians of the Galaxy fans and that yes. you get to really enjoy the experience of it. I'm I'm excited and uh, I'm glad that we finally have a big movie that we can talk about. And uh, I I hope, too, that that next year we'll come back to, to Sweet Tooth and talk about that, because this has been a fun Absolutely. conversation. I really have I, enjoyed this. There's been a lot here. It really has been. And, you know, they. They haven't officially said that we get a season three, but behind the scenes, it's been said that they're already trying to map out what it would look like. So it's very likely we're going to see. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I hope so. I need answers. So it better be. Mark, right. <laughs> should we tell all the listeners out there uh, what we're going to be doing in July? Yes. Oh, we're okay. so excited. So, folks, we are fortunate enough that we're going to be bringing our show live. From the Wild Goose Festival in July. Woo! We are so excited. It'll be only the third time that we've done the show in like where we're both in the same spot. Mm -hmm. So it will be very exciting. We'll have more information coming up soon, including discounts. If you'd like to order through uh, the Moonshine Jesus show, we'll be able to get you some discounts to tickets mm -hmm. there. We'll soon we'll get to know what time and what stage we'll be at. Uh, it was a blast the last time we did it. So uh, it should be equally fun this time. Yeah, you know, we've really kind of settled into this pattern, Mark, where every 25 <laughs> shows or so, we get to be in person. So I can't it's wait perfect. It's to perfect. be in person with you. <laughs> it is. It's so fun. Yeah. And you know what? The most It's fun to be in person with you, Mark, but it's also yes. fun to have like real live people that's, around us. That's the best. That's the best. It is the, the energy, best. The energy that gives and the interchange. Yeah. Oh, I... We hope that some of, of our listeners, our loyal listeners, will be there at Wild Goose. Last year, we had a good crowd. It was a lot of fun. Uh, but we're really hoping that we'll see even more of you this coming year. Yeah, because there's a lot of other great stuff to check out. A lot of wonderful people so to, uh, to listen to. There's and if you're interested in progressive Christianity at all, it's great. Yeah, so many, it's fantastic. 
our installation, so many great speakers, yeah. us. And honestly, one of the best things about Wild Goose is simply the networking, getting to talk mm -hmm. with other people, meeting folks that see the world the way that you see the world and understand theology the way you do. It is a true gift to be around that many people and to have that kind of weekend uh, with the folks that you identify most strongly. Well, thank you all for tuning in today. We've really appreciated it. And uh, we can't wait to see you next time when we talk about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 on the Moonshine Jesus Show. Moonshine Jesus, nobody.